All right, let's open up to Matthew chapter 8 this morning. Last week we finished up the Sermon on the Mount. I appreciated where Jesus went there right at the end in chapter 7. Just calling out the reality of what really matters. And that's that we really know him and that we're known by him. It's relationship. God ain't really down with the religion. It's one thing as you study, rightly divide the word, you're going to see very quickly um, that there's nothing we can do. That's what religion teaches. This is what you do. And we as Christians, we're the only religion in the world that trusts in what God has done. Period. He alone is Savior. Um, And I pray you know him. If you don't, I would encourage you to get into the scriptures, begin to read the word. We're starting uh, <clears throat> the Gospel of John on uh, Thursday mornings. We got through the first four chapters this last week, and there's a reason why we tell people, read the Gospel of John. There's a reason for that, because it just speaks of Jesus. It lays out the Gospel beautifully. So, as we pray this morning, uh, before we jump into study, I really want us to Ask God personally to open our hearts. We all have choices, right? We looked at that a couple weeks ago. And it's one of those things in hearing the word, you know, do we receive it? Do we mix it with faith? And then do we actually do it? And I'd ask you guys just to personally cry out to God for uh, your heart to be open this morning to what he has uh, for you here. So let's pray. And I'm going to repeat a prayer that my daughter prayed this morning. She just simply thanked God that we have the gospel. I don't know if you guys know how much of a blessing that really is. We have the gospel. What a gift. So, Father, we do thank you. We thank you for your message, Jesus, how you came preaching the kingdom. (laughs) You told us to repent, to turn to you. And that's what we want to do this morning, Father. It's turn to you. So would you please speak to us once again through your word. We want to hear from you. We thank you, Father, that your word does so much in our lives, more than we even know, and how it effectively works in those who believe. So we would pray, Father, that you would do a deep work in our hearts and in our lives, change our thinking if need be. We know your word does that. And if there are any here that don't know you personally, we pray that by your word, Father, that they would see their need of you. They would place their faith in you alone, Father. I pray in your name. Amen? Amen. Um, There was a woman who walked up to Spurgeon one time and said, Jesus changed my life, and he's never going to hear the end of it. I like that. (laughs) I like that. And that's what God really wants is that communion. It's just we're always in a place. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for touching my life, Jesus. Thank you so much. So as we jump into chapter 8 of Matthew this morning, if we got to cut the gospel in half, we'd take the first 10 chapters, lump them together, and we would see the king, King Jesus, being revealed. That's what Matthew has laid out for us so far. And then we take chapters 11 to 28, and then we see the king being rejected by his own. So Matthew first introduced us to Jesus as 
the person of the king. We saw that in the first four chapters. And then next to the principle of the king in chapters 5 to 7, that was the Sermon on the Mount. And now we're going to see the power of the king in the next two chapters, 8 and 9, together. And I love this because when we think about a king, after all, if we think about a king, okay, um, if he doesn't have power, what good are his credentials or principles, right? And Jesus is going to show his power here to us. In chapters 8 and 9, we're going to get to see 10 miracles, five that were in Capernaum. You guys remember Capernaum, the city that rejected him? We're going to see five there and then five others. Uh, these aren't in chronological order. If you ever study the Gospels chronologically, um, Matthew does this, except the last four are, um, but they're written uh, thematically, okay, about the Messiah, just to show who he is. So why did he perform these miracles? Well, I'm glad you guys asked me that. So I'm going to tell you real quick. Three reasons, there could be other reasons, but one is really to meet human needs. Okay, you guys know we're needy people? No, we're not. We don't need God. Isn't that what people say today? Forget him. We don't even want to think about him. We'll make up some lies so we don't even have to believe in him. Let's uh, say nothing blew up and we just evolved into what we are today. I mean, that's totally ridiculous. But God did these things to what? Hey, we have a need. And he alone is what we need. He alone is able to do what we need. Also, there were additional credentials given. And the Old Testament, one thing I love about the scriptures, it is the only book the Bible that has prophecy that's been fulfilled like crazy. And Jesus fulfilled a ton of Old Testament prophecies by doing these miracles. So Jesus definitely didn't perform them to get a crowd. Okay? He doesn't do that. Do you guys ever hear of faith healers? Hey, they're coming to our town. So-and-so's going to be here. Let's all go. Let's all go show up. He's going to be, you know, Jesus... That's not what he was doing. He actually avoided the crowd. You guys can look at verse 18. We see that throughout Scripture he does that. So he avoided. Why? So people wouldn't trust simply in these spectacular deeds that he was doing, but on his words. That is what's important, guys. So how will they hear without a preacher? Not how will they see without a miracle? And a lot of people do that today. Just give me a sign, then I'll believe. What did Jesus say? An evil and adulterous generation seek after a sign. One sign will be given to her, right? As Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, three nights, so will the Son of Man. So he did rise from the dead. Okay? Nobody can dispute that. It is a historical fact that he died upon a cross, that he rose from the dead. Eyewitnesses. Uh, accounts to that uh, but we have a lot of people that are looking for those signs there's a lot of people within the church that are all about the signs and the wonders they're willing to fly all over the world just to see this stuff well what matters guys what matters is that you hear the word of god and that your names are written in the book of life that's what jesus says that's what matters so breaking this down a little bit more before we jump in here the miracles that we're going to see in chapters eight and nine are in three groups with an event relating to discipleship, separating these groups. So if you're outlining in, the, in your Bibles, chapter 8, verses 1 to 22, we're going to see grace to the outcasts. 
And then in verse 23, all the way into chapter 9, verse 17, we're going to see peace that is distributed. And then chapter 9, verse 18 to 38, we see restoration to the broken. I don't know if you guys ever take the time to sit down and outline the scriptures when you're studying, but the Holy Spirit has inspired every word of the Bible. Every single one of them. And they're there for a reason. That's why it's so important that we take things in context. What is he speaking? What is he trying to show us? And we get to get, we get to know more of who our Heavenly Father is, what he's like, his attributes, his heart. It's beautiful. So uh, let's look at God's grace to the outcasts. Remember, lepers, Gentiles, and women were considered outcasts by many Jewish people especially among the religious leaders. And that's who we're going to consider this morning. They say many Pharisees would actually pray each morning. You guys want to know what their prayer was each morning? Check out how self-righteous these guys are. I, th- or I give thanks that I'm a man and not a woman, a Jew and not a Gentile, a free man and not a slave. Wow. That was their heart. So a little bit of a glimpse. You really want to know what somebody's like, what they really think, pray with them. You'll get to know their heart real quick (laughs) and know what they think. So let's take a look here. Verse 1 of chapter 8. We're going to see this leper cleansed. When he had come down from the mountain, okay, this is right after the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes down the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came, and what did he do? He worshipped him. How cool! You guys ever see people get so undone? Why did I get cancer? Why did this happen to me? Why did I lose that? I don't know if I can believe in God anymore. I don't know if I want anything to do with him anymore. Woe is me. I'm going to have a pity party. Man, this guy's an outcast. Okay, and what is he choosing to do? I'm going to worship God. He comes worshiping, right? Saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus put out his hand. I love verse 3. I hope this is underlined in your Bible. Catch this. He reached out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See, that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift of Moses, or that Moses commanded, as a testimony to them so leprosy it's one of the oldest recorded diseases that we have okay it's from latin word lepra meaning scaly okay how many of you guys have seen a picture of someone with leprosy okay check it out on google or don't there's a reason why i don't have slides up this morning <laughs> so, it's also known as hansen's disease the jewish talmud actually taught that leprosy was second only to death Okay, so that's how they looked at it um, in their list, long list of defilements. But the rabbis believed it was direct judgment from God. So if you ended up with leprosy, it's because you were being judged for your sin. So the leper breaks all the leopard codes here in this passage, and namely to stay away from people. At least 150 feet. Do you guys know that they had to walk around? Unclean! I'm unclean! And they would know that they were a leper. And people would steer clear when he would approach. 
So this guy, you guys catch what he did here? Where we read that there was a multitude. And this guy goes running right up to Jesus. Right into the crowd. And he begins to worship. So this great multitude we see in verse 1. Right up to Jesus, only an arm length away, with great faith that Jesus would heal him. Okay, do you see the faith of this man? So leprosy is an illustration of sin. I want you guys to turn back to Leviticus, third book in the Bible. We're going to look at the Levitical law for a moment. I asked you guys this week to read the whole chapter. I hope you got hooked and went into chapter 14 because it carries on a lot of detail for us. But I want you guys to catch this as we look at Leviticus 13. It helps us understand the nature of sin. Okay. I want to look at verse 3. Okay. The nature of sin, it's deeper than the skin, right? Not just what we see on the outside. Okay, it goes deep. Look at verse 3. The priest shall examine the sore of the skin of the body. And if a hair on the sore is turned white, and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a leprous sore. And the priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. Also in the nature of sin, it spreads. Look down to verse 8 with me. If the priest sees that the scab has indeed spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is leprosy. We also see in the nature of sin that it, it defiles. Jump all the way down to verse 45. Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. So it defiles, and it also isolates. Look at verse 46. He shall be unclean all the days. He has the sore, he shall be unclean, and he, or he is unclean, and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside of the camp. So he needs to isolate himself. And then the last one we see in verses 52 and 57, it's only fit for fire. And that's really the nature of sin. Okay, We are guilty. What do we deserve? Well, I don't deserve this, God. No, we deserve hellfire. You guys understand that? We have rebelled against God. We have sinned against a holy, just, fair God. And the judgment is hell. Look at verse 42. He shall therefore burn the garment in which is the plague whether wrap or woof or wool or of linen, anything of leather, for it is an active leprosy. The garment shall be burned with fire. So this man in this story, you guys can keep your finger here in Leviticus. We'll come back in a minute. But going back to Matthew, we see this man, he didn't doubt Jesus' ability. Do you guys like this man's faith? He did not doubt Jesus, okay, to be able to heal, but only his willingness to do it. And aren't we the same, guys? I really want us to ask ourselves that question. Are we the same? We know that Jesus can, but will he? I sure don't think it's a lack of faith on our part to ask him, will he or does he want to? Because as we have examples in scripture, sometimes he doesn't want to. 
We have the Apostle Paul, three times I prayed. And God said, no, my grace is going to suffice. You're going to live with this thorn in the flesh, you know. Um, so we see that in Scripture. But here, he is willing and able. Okay, He is willing and able. So he touched him. I want you guys to think about how important. Circle that in your Bible. Jesus touched him. I think that's the coolest part of this whole passage this morning. Put yourself in this leper's shoes for a second. He hadn't had human touch probably for years. No handshake, no fist bump, no hug, Finn, no embrace, no kiss. My son Finn loves to hug. No hand on his shoulder, no pat on the back. How long could you go without that? How would you feel? Jesus could have just said, be clean, but he didn't. He touched him. I love that. So as we said, leprosy is an illustration of sin. So whatever sin you're in right now, don't be like the countless lepers who said, I need to stay away from Jesus because I'm unclean. I have to stay away. I can't go to him. Jesus can handle your sin. Don't put him in a box. Our God is big. He can handle whatever your sin is. He's not shocked, horrified, nor embarrassed by it. He already knows it. I think that's silly when people, <laughs> he can't deal with it. I don't, he already knows. You see, guys, Jesus touched the leopard. He can touch your sin as well. That's truth. So don't wait till your leprosy goes away to approach him because it won't and it can't. It won't and it can't. Come as you are. And then Jesus tells this guy to do what? Go tell the priests. This ceremony had been on the books for 1,500 years. If this happens, if someone you know, who has leprosy is healed, gets well, okay, you're to go and you're to have this ceremony done. But we never, ever hear of a leper cleansed. Nowhere. It's never happened until this man. Isn't that cool? Until Jesus shows up. Isn't that cool? Yeah? Am I the only one that thinks that's cool? I think it's cool. It's really cool. Until Jesus shows Anyways, we should do that sometime. We should just do a study on what hadn't happened until Jesus showed up. There is so much cool stuff. You guys want a little nugget real quick? You know Moses couldn't enter the promised land, okay? Because he disobeyed God. He struck the rock a second time. He couldn't enter in with that generation because of that. Do we ever see Moses in the promised land? Yes. Mount of Transfiguration with who? Jesus. He was finally able to enter in with Jesus. Anyways, we could go on and on. But anyways, the scriptures are so cool. Um, where am I at? We're totally sidetracked. Tell no one, right? Look at that little phrase. Tell no one. Maybe he was just helping Jesus with public relations, right? Um, so why did not, he not allow the man with this skin disease um, to spread the news about him? I believe it's because Jesus did not want his program co-opted by others. 
It was his thing in his timing. He would reveal himself on his terms, in his timing. How many times did Jesus say, my hour has not yet come? Okay, He was on a mission. He knew exactly what the Father was asking him to do. So Jesus' purpose was not popularity or a a public uh, insurrection, uh, but it was really discipleship. Okay, You 12, come with me. We're going to do life together for three years. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to disciple you. And then I'm going to ask you to go do the same. And that's the Great Commission, guys. Go and make disciples. And ultimately for Jesus, it was the cross. None of us could die for the sins of anybody else because we are spotted. Okay? We are unclean. But he was the spotless Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice who could take away the sins of the world. That was his mission. Disciple. And to bear our sins upon the cross. So thankful. Mark's gospel, I'm going to read uh, just a couple of verses for you guys. Uh, chapter 1, verse 45, you can jot it down. It says this, But the man went, and he spread the word, proclaiming it to everyone. So this leper goes out, uh, sharing what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere And he had to stay in scheduled places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. So this leper went and he told, and Jesus wasn't able to move the way he wanted to move because all these people were coming. Now, the former leper could go into the city while Jesus is now on the outside. Pretty cool, huh? So don't tell anyone, and they'll tell everyone, right? Right? You tell people to go tell the world and they tell no one. I think about that sometimes. I think once in a while as a pastor, I should tell you guys that. Oh, isn't the gospel so good? It is. Don't tell anybody. Would we be prone then to actually go share it? (laughs) What's up with us, huh? We're goofy. Uh, Let's go back to Leviticus. We're going to look at a couple verses out of chapter 14 now. So when Jesus told this leper to go offer the gift of Moses, okay, or that Moses commanded, they were to bring two birds. So let's read what they're supposed to do with these. In Leviticus 14.4, we'll pick it up. Then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and a clean birds, cedarwood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command the one of the birds to be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, it shall, they shall take it, the cedar uh, wood and the scarlet and the hyssop, and dip them, or dip them, the living bird, into the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water, and he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird loose in an open field. Strange, huh? you guys bring your birds today? You see, guys, these birds, birds don't belong in earthen vessels, jars of clay, do they? No, they don't. They ought to be out flying in the sky, in the heavens, which reminds us, of Jesus' incarnation. Didn't he limit himself in, uh, into a body that was once formed from clay? 
the body of man. So the first bird speaks of Jesus' life in an earthen vessel and experienced death in it also. Then the second bird being set free can represent his resurrection from the dead. I think it's a cool picture right there of sin, leprosy, and of what Jesus did for you and I upon the cross and rising from the dead. So let's go back to Matthew. We're done with the leper. We'll move on now to a Gentile, a centurion. He has a servant who gets healed. Let's look at verse 5 together. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. Okay? What does it take to make God marvel? Think about that for a second. Well, this man, okay, what he has just said makes Jesus marvel. And Jesus said to those who follow, Surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done to you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Wow! Isn't this cool? So the centurion, okay, what does that mean? Well, he's part of the Roman army, and he had a hundred soldiers under his command. Think about that, under his authority. So we have three centurions in the New Testament, if you go and study and look it up. And it's so cool. You guys know what all three of these centurions have? Faith. Every time we see them, they have faith in Jesus. Okay? One at Capernaum, the one you guys remember at the crucifixion of Jesus? Surely this is the Son of God. And then Cornelius, of course. So those are the three that come up in Scripture, and they all have faith. All Gentiles, pretty cool. How many of you guys are Gentiles? That's right. How many Jews? Couple? One? Half? Yeah, pretty cool. I'm so glad that the gospel has come to the Jews first, but then also to the whole world. You guys know that God desires none to perish? Think about that for a second. None. So a centurion uh, came to him. You guys catch that came to Jesus. So this was odd, okay? Luke also adds, if we read his gospel, that this man was very wealthy. He's a wealthy soldier. <laughs> so we have a wealthy man dealing with a poor man, right? We have a Roman citizen dealing with an Israeli citizen. We have a Gentile coming to a Jew. We have a powerful centurion coming to a meek 
carpenter. We have a mighty man of war coming to the prince of peace. Think about what's going down here. Matthew records only two Gentile miracles. And this is one of them, guys, that we see. And the other one is the Syrophoenician woman. So, in both, Jesus was impressed. If you read both the accounts, impressed with their faith. What impresses God? What does he marvel at? Our faith. Right? Jet down Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's what he wants from us. Faith. Well, if that's what pleases God, where do I get more faith? Do I just muster it up? I see people mustering a lot of faith. You have to have, honestly, as a Christian, what I believe, okay, you have to have more faith that nothing can blow up, okay, <laughs> than actually believing that there's a creator behind all this crazy design creation that we see. Okay, there has to be an intelligence there. That's what's logical. That's just what makes sense. Okay, that's what's easier to understand. So an atheist really has more faith than some Christians I know. But God wants faith in the right kind of faith because we can have faith in a lot of things. I'm glad you found your faith. Glad Jesus is working for you. But there's many paths. Whoa, check out last week's sermon. (laughs) There's not. There's one Savior. There's one way. And it's Jesus Christ. Bottom line. If you're hoping in something you're doing to get to heaven or some faith that you've mustered up by staring at your navel on top of a mountain for a while and you think that's going to get you into heaven, it's sad, guys. God is convicting the world today of sin, of judgment, of righteousness. And we ignore him and we say, I got it. We got our own ways. My way is right. We need to humble ourselves, guys. And if faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, if you want to please God, what do you need to be doing? Studying the scriptures. I'd encourage you men, come out on a Thursday morning for Bible study. We just read for a half an hour. Matt joined us this last week. Were you blessed just reading the word? You know, and we discussed afterwards, you know, prayed a little bit. But I could sit there and just read for the entire hour that we're together. It's just the word of God is so good. It does build your faith. It's just like, whoa, you're so right, God. You're so good. This just makes sense. Yes, Jesus, you know? That's why it's there. The volume of the book is about him. How many churches opened up to Leviticus 13 and 14 this morning? I don't know. I was super blessed this week to open up chapters 13 and 14. Look what's right there. Here's our sin nature, and this is what Jesus has done for us. It is beautiful. It does point to him, guys. It builds our faith. So, um, both of these guys were healed from a distance. These Gentiles is a reminder of our, our spiritual position of Gentiles still being afar off. You can jot down Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. This is where it comes from. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off, you've been brought near by how? the blood of Jesus Christ. We as Gentiles, we are grafted in. It's beautiful. And look at verse 11. Many will come from the east and the west. So there's three truths that we can draw from this. Many Jewish people that thought they will be uh, in because of their pedigree, they're not going to be. And many Gentiles who think that they're not worthy enough to get in are going to get in. And the only way to get there is not by 
national, racial, or geographical residence, but by faith in Christ. Bottom line, period. That is it, guys. Faith in Christ. So who can come to Jesus? Who can find salvation? Anyone, right? Anyone. God loved this world, guys. If anyone calls upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. Pretty simple stuff. And faith always precedes regeneration. Study it out for yourselves in scriptures. You will always see that progression. And that's why this Gentile man, this centurion, coming to Jesus, he came and a miracle took place. So far, we've had a leper healed, someone outside of the camp, right? Um, and then next, this Gentile is healed, someone uh, outside of the covenant. Now we have a woman healed who is outside the common value of the patriarchal society that they had. And it's going to be Peter's mother-in-law. But I thought Peter was the first pope. That means he was married. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm naughty. Pray for your pastor. All right, verse 14. Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she arose and served them. So when a mom gets sick, you know it's serious. You guys know that? It's got to be. Amen, sisters? Yeah, okay. So Dr. Luke said that she had a high fever, probably a continuous fever, probably uh, chronic, certainly severe. Uh, malaria fever. So how many of you guys have heard of those? Super nasty. Kills people like crazy. They were very common um, there because of the marshes that surrounded the area nearby, uh, near the mouth of the Jordan River. They would get those often. In, 19, in the 1950s, they actually drained the Hula Valley for this very reason. That's the reason that they drained it. Um, I can't wait to go to Israel with you guys. I hope you guys come. We're going to go in 2020. Um, we're going to be able to stand there on the Mount of Olives. We're going to be able to stand on the, where Jesus was preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be able to walk down where he walked uh, into Capernaum. We're going to be able to see where this event with the leper took place, where the centurion um, had the servant healed, the synagogue go into his house. It's going to be so cool. I hope you come. We'll have more information in a few weeks from now on how that's going to look. But Back to the scriptures here, Mark chapter 1, verse 29 says, Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So that's where they go chronologically with what's happening here. So this might seem like a minor miracle, but the results were major. Think through this with me for a second. After sundown, when the Sabbath had ended, the whole city gathered at the door that the Lord might meet their needs. We see that in Mark chapter 1, verse 32 to 34. So many were coming to see Jesus. So the change in one woman's life led to miracles in the lives of many people. This week we read John chapter 1 through four but in chapter one verse 44 it pointed out that peter's original home was in bethsaida so what pastor i love that you just keep throwing out these facts what is who cares that's cool think about what peter actually did if he lived in bethsaida okay peter moved everything to capernaum 
to follow Jesus. He moved everything, his fishing business, his in-laws, the whole enchilada or falafel. Um, Bethsaida means house of fish or house of fishing. He moved to Capernaum where Jesus had his headquarters. So Peter left his place of occupational prosperity to be close to Jesus. Wow. What did Jesus tell Peter? Follow me. What does that mean? There might be things that we need to let go of, that we need to leave behind. And we're told here, that when she rose up, she served him. So Peter's mother-in-law gets healed. She gets up, and what is she doing right away? She's serving. She served them. Jerome said this, the hand ministered which had been touched and healed. So one of the signs that you can tell if one life has been truly touched by Jesus, is that you'll see them start serving. They just start serving. So she seems to communicate, he helped me, (laughs) who can I help? Pretty simple, right? Man, I've been touched by the love of Christ. You know? I'm experiencing something I've never experienced before. Now I want to do the same to others just works that way he serves us how can we serve others now we'll take a look and we'll wrap up we're going to see many get healed look at verse 16 and 17 with me here in matthew chapter 8 when evening had come they brought to him many who were demon possessed and he cast out spirits with a word and he healed all who were sick take it might or that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and he bore our sickness. He did that. So I believe anyone that is sick will definitely be healed. I believe that. Some now, some later. Some when we get to heaven. The prophet Jeremiah in chapter 30, verse 17 said this, I will restore you to health. And heal your wounds, declares the Lord. He promised to do that. Matthew, I believe, understood the fulfillment in the light of the larger, okay, the atonement context of Isaiah. So Jesus' healing ministry was just a part of his larger ministry of bringing people into the kingdom, which we see back in chapter 4, verse 23. That's what it's all about. So Jesus went about, right, in Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. So that's just part of what he was up to. So his atoning death was central and necessary for the feature to the kingdom. Huge part of it. So his healings were a foretaste of the ultimate benefits of his death. Benefits that would not be fully realized until his return. Thus, this passage doesn't teach that Christians can expect automatic healing in this age. Yet, let us ask by faith. Amen? So, ever since sin entered the world, humanity has waited for the heavenly authority to do the reversal. Jesus' miracles demonstrated this power and authority. So, sin brought really three primary effects to us. God's once perfect creation, right? The Garden of Eden, beautiful, wonderful. It became laced with corruption. 
The earth would no longer cooperate as man must toil to produce what he manages. Those are the results, okay? Uh, try whatever he wants. And then sin also gave Satan his position in our world, which he continues to exercise to this day. And I believe he knows his hour is getting late and that's coming to an end. Um, so that's been going on since the day he tricked Eve. All humanity was corrupted physically and spiritually by sin in the culmination of death. So consider this with me this morning as we look at Jesus' miracles. Okay? Are they're best understood against the backdrop of sin's corruption? Okay? They begin to make sense. We see the importance of them. So all okay, so all of these uh, miracles taking place. There's three types of miracles that we see in the Gospels. This will help with us getting this, understanding this. Okay, there are nature miracles. You guys recall some of those to your mind? Okay, um, wind, the waves stood still. Okay, we saw those things happen. Jesus' miracles reverse the destructive effects of sin. So this really shows us or proves to us Jesus as the creator of all things endowed with the power to recreate. Okay, he has that recreative power. Also, spiritual authority in miracles. Okay, did he have to sit and argue with demons? No, he casts them out immediately, right? Okay, so we see that authority, spiritual authority given. So Jesus not only opposed Satan, but demons directly Okay, he disposed of them with ease, immediately bringing them under his control. Okay, had the blessing of being around when people were set free from uh, demon possession. Okay, kind of freaky. And I can tell you, every single time that I've seen someone delivered, it wasn't an ease thing. Okay, there was a battle <laughs> for their deliverance. Do we have authority in Christ to cast out demons? Absolutely. But sometimes these kind only come out with prayer and fasting. There's a battle going on over the souls of men and women. And then we see the healing miracles, which we're considering together this morning and over the next uh, few weeks. But uh, in light of the healing miracles, Jesus' healing miracles declare his power to remedy and to eradicate the effects of sin that are on humanity. On humanity. So the presence of disease and death in our world continually reminds us that we are physically and spiritually broken. It's because of sin. So sin has radically marred God's image in us, and we are powerless to reverse the inevitability uh, in of death and its effects. So, what does this teach us? Well, it teaches us when Jesus came into the world, he brought the heavenly authority necessary to cleanse those with disease, but also to demonstrate Jesus' great, uh, greatest healing power in his authority to heal spiritually, that our sins could be forgiven. That's the big one. We have an opportunity as we wrap up this morning. We're going to have uh, the elders come forward to pray for you guys. Okay? And it might be for the ultimate healing that we all need, and that's spiritual healing. You guys can see this morning on our prayer requests, we have some for the fellowship, and I posted a few from our pantry guests this last week. There's a lot of prayers for physical healing. Does God do it? Yeah. I've seen it happen. Absolutely. 
he can do that. Other times it doesn't happen. That's between, you know, that's his call. But the healing that every single person needs more than a physical healing is they need to be spiritually healed. And that it only can happen by surrendering to Jesus Christ, bowing the knee now. That's the greatest healing, guys. Because let me tell you what, we're going through the effects of sin. Some of us have, you know, more, more effects going on than others right now. But don't we cry out? With the rest of creation, aren't we groaning? Aren't we looking forward to our heavenly bodies? To be whole again? To be well? To have hair on our heads once again? It's going to be beautiful and wonderful, guys. <laughs> He's going to restore all things. But that's just part of life. Okay? We are falling apart. That's what sin does. It destroys. But Jesus gives life. And it's so cool to think about when you come to Christ, though our outward man may per- be perishing, our inward man is being renewed day by day. And we're growing. And if we're in Christ, we should be more alive every single day that God gives us. Amen? Amen. So if I could have the elders come forward, I'm going to close in prayer. And if you'd like prayer for healing, we got oil. We'll anoint you. Uh, James tells us if any of you guys are sick, okay, need healing, go to the elders of the church. Okay? But it's on you guys. We're not to go to you. <laughs> you come to us. And we'll pray. We'll pray in faith. We'll see what God does. If any of you guys haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we would love to talk with you and pray with you that you can do that this morning. But I think the neat part is you come, you seek, you go to Jesus. Because let me tell you what, when you go to Jesus, you're going to find what you're looking for because he's the only one who has what we're looking for. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word this morning. It's easy for us, God, to just stand in awe of who you are and what you did. It would have been so cool uh, to have been able to be there, to be a part of that crowd that day who saw this leper (laughs) uh, come and be healed, something that had never been done before. God, but we're thankful that these things were recorded for us, that we can learn of you. We can get an understanding of who you are, what your mission was. God, and we thank you that you are alive. You're not dead. Lord, you're still on the move. You've even told us, Lord, that there would be greater miracles after you leave. And you've been faithful to that, God. There's healings going on all over the world today. Father, and people are being set free for the first time in their lives. The gospel is being proclaimed. And people are receiving you by faith. We thank you so much, God, that you haven't given up on us. Lord, that you desire to give life and life abundantly. You're a good God. And we are a thankful people this morning. And Lord, I would pray and ask, God, if anybody does need prayer, Lord, that they would come forward, God, that you would meet with them, you would touch them especially, Lord, as we considered last week, that they would know that they know (laughs) you and that they are known by you, that they would have relationship, salvation. We thank you for that precious gift of grace that you've given to us, God. You are so kind. Please go before my brothers and sisters this week. Help us to walk with you, closely with you, to walk in the light, in the truth, Father, in your light. And help us to be light and salt in this world. People need you, Jesus. 
And we thank you that we have hope to share with them. So, yeah, give us place, give us opportunities. Amen.